Again, if you don't have a Bible, there's some in the back uh, on the shelf. Now, our text today is verses 31 through 32. I have that wrong. 29 and 30 we did last week. And those verses, Romans 8, 29 through 30, uh, say, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That was the text we read last week. And we saw that God foreloved his people. He, he loved his people from eternity. And that it isn't this just abstract intellectual knowledge of his people and just, just random people, but it's specific people. He knew you by your name from eternity. And that he, he predestined you, he chose you to be his from eternity so that you might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So all the way back then, before creation uh, happened, before, uh, before anything was, in eternity, God loved his people and he chose them to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Why? So that Jesus Christ might get the glory, that Jesus Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers. That on that day when all of God's people are conformed to Jesus Christ, uh, his death and his resurrection and ascension would not be in vain, but it would be fruitless or fruitful. That he Think about the glory that Christ will receive and the smile on his face. And then, verse 30, basically, those whom he chose and predestined, we move into time. He also called. He called by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not a, not a general call of the gospel that I'll do, but the call of the Holy Spirit where he, he effectively draws you to Jesus Christ so that you have union with Jesus Christ, that you become one with Jesus Christ, like marriage. A man and a woman become one flesh. So too, uh, that, that's the picture there for the believers in Jesus Christ. And those whom he called, he justified. He, he reconciled, made right with God. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so today, that, that's the recap of, of last week. And of, of the basic teaching of those verses, but the implications of those verses, we, we, remember we asked those questions, why does God reveal all this to us? Why does he reveal to us the divine counsel of his will? Well, we said, what does Romans 8 start off with? Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So we said that these, the counsel of God's will is revealed to us so that Why? we may be comforted. That when sin, when the trials of sickness and death, when enemies of the world, uh, scoffers, mockers, or when the devil just makes your chest tight, makes you anxious, or you're depressed, that you can be comforted, that you are secure in God, in Jesus Christ. That your salvation it is not up to you. It's all worked out by God. Now he, he will keep you safe. He'll keep you in the palm of your hand, in of the palm of his hand, so that you will have the victory. 
so that even death, which it will sting here, we're all going to die. But even as we face death, we can have the certainty that we are going to go be with Jesus Christ. And that death, the devil doesn't get the last, uh, the last say in, in, the, in things. But Christ defeated that and overcame that. And so we saw that God reveals that to us uh, so that we, we might be comforted. And we, we mentioned that there are a lot of false teachers out there who, who, uh, who, who try to muddy the gospel. They'll say, yeah, Jesus was necessary to, to die, to bury your sin. And, and so you need Jesus Christ. But, but you, do have to do, you do have to be a good person. You, you, you do have to work for your salvation. So they kind of mingle the gospel with works. And we said that those false teachers, the harvest that they reap is sheep that are all despairing and anxious because they don't have assurance. They don't have comfort. And just how wicked, how wicked that is. And that it's, it's Jesus Christ alone. And today for us, it's in, we're going to look at verses 31 through 32. So read with me the next verses. What then shall we say to these things? All that we just went over. What, what's, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let us, let's go now in a, a time of prayer that God would bless the reading of his word. Pray with me. Lord, we have just read your word that if you, since you are for your people, nothing is against us. Nothing. And you who did not spare your own son, Lord, you who will graciously give us all things. So I pray that you will bless this reading of, of, your, of your word to the people here, to my heart today, and that, that you might give me the words to say, the cl- some clarity, and that the Spirit would work mightily to, to comfort ye, your people. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the sermon title today is, based, is just simple. It's from, right from the text. God is for us. God is for us. Take a time to, to answer this question. What, what, is a, what would you say is against you in this life? What is against you in this life? Is it the, the sin that you fight against, the besetting sin that, that you struggle with? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life? Or is, is it the disease that maybe has overcome your body or that you're struggling with? Is, is that what's against you in this life? Or the anxiety or depression that you struggle with? Or maybe a divorce you're going through? Your children maybe not walking with the Lord, that, that seems against you. The world mocks you maybe. You feel it at work. People mock you because of your belief in Jesus Christ. Or maybe you just see all the beliefs that the world is putting out there and calling true, and you just, man, it's so anti-God, it's so anti-Bible, that's against, that's against me. The temptations of the world are maybe against you. 
or the devil and his host who, who tempts you and seeks to destroy your life. Or maybe, as I mentioned before, it's the doubts concerning your salvation. That, that, that's what is against you. We all come up against these powers or these things that are against us in this, in this life. The whole world is, is full of sin and corruption. And, and our, our body is part of that, is part of the world. The power of sin is still within us. And then there is death, death which we mentioned that nobody can escape. All of us face the evil powers that are against us every day. Do we not? But the text says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Is this like a sarcastic question? Is this a question asked in a mocking tone? No. No. God is for us. God is for us, and, and we must know that today. All of us in our own hearts must know that. The th- that the things that we struggle with in this life, the things that seem against us, that, that are against us, that are so overwhelming, those things need to be put in their proper place. You need to have the proper perspective of all of those things. And that proper place is underneath God. All of the things that we know to be against us in our life need to be put under the umbrella that is God. That God is in control of it all. That he's working everything in your life down to the most minute details for your good. Everything. That's what you must believe. That's what I must believe. But we, we tend to think, well, there's the good, and that, that's, that's good. That, that works for our good. And then there's the bad, and we want to get the heck away from that stuff. That stuff is not good. But the Bible is telling us that the good and the bad and everything in between, everything in your life works for your good. We need to understand that God is for us so that we can say with uh, the Shunammite woman in second, first, or second Kings, I forget, 1 Kings 4, to be able to say with her, it is well. You remember the Shunammite woman? It's a good story. Her son is killed. And she, she sends a servant to go get the prophet to heal, to heal him. Her son's dead. But she's still able to say, it is well, it is well. So even in the midst of our sufferings and all the things that are against us, we need to be able to say with confidence and assurance that it is well. God is for me. So today, to understand this, I just I want us to look at first who is for us. Who is for us? God is for us. First, God, who is the great judge over all things, the great judge over all things is for us. What does a judge do? A judge sentences people based on their crimes, right? And so if an earthly judge is for you, you're free. You're all set. But if now think, if God, the one true judge, is for you, is for you, then you are justified before him. 
eternally secure. You are, are justified right now before him as a believer in Jesus Christ. And you will be justified before him on that great day of judgment and glory. Second, after noticing God the judges for us, God who is also the great creator of the universe is for us. As, as a designer or an, an architect, God mapped out the blueprint. God didn't have any help mapping it out, and nor did he need any help. He alone mapped out the entire blueprint for creation. If this is so, then, then God the creator was for us. He was for his people. Even then, even when he was mapping out the creation of the world, he was for you. He knew of you then, and he loved you. He foreknew you. He foreloved you. Remember? Intimate knowing. I said, Adam, there's a text that says, Adam knew Eve, and Eve conceived. And I said, that, it's not like Adam just met Eve and said, I, I know her. No, there was intimate knowledge. So too with God. God knew you. Even when he was mapping out the, the entire uh, blueprint for creation. He was for us when he was creating the universe as well. He had you and me believers in mind then. He had our salvation uh, in mind or in view from eternity when, and when he was creating all things. And, and as the creator of all things, we, we know God to be what? We know God to be the sustainer of all things. If he creates it all, he has the power to sustain it. Spe- very specifically here, all things from one moment to the next moment have come uh, that have come to pass and will come to pass. God is in control of everything. He, he is the king. There is nothing outside of his will that comes to pass. God ordained it all. We like to think that, ah, oh, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. There are no mistakes. There are no mistakes. Everything happens according to God's will and determined plan. And it works together for our good and for his glory. We might not always be able to tell how how it works uh, for our good in the moment. But if you're like me, you can kind of look back five years ago and you can kind of see like that certain thing happened. I can see how God used that to to sanctify me or to help me love love, uh, the people around me more. Thirdly, God, or first, God the judge is for us. God the creator of all things is for us. And thirdly, God who is all wise is for us. The, the, the same question must be asked here. Did, did anything that has happened in all of history or particularly, particularly in your life happen outside of God's will? Again, was there a mistake in your life? No, everything that happened and will happens happens according to God's good pleasure and will. God is all wise. He, he never makes a mistake. And, and that, that, that's, that's wonderful. We, we are so limited in our knowledge, right? And we, we like to think we got a plan and this is how it's going to go and this is what's best for us. We like to think we know that. But 
We don't know what's best for us. God knows what's best for us. He's all wise. And so even the bad things that happen in your life, instead of shaking your fist at God, we got to say, we got to, even when it's hard, we got to be able to say, I trust you, God. You're going to use this for my good. But you're, you're most importantly going to use it for your, for your glory. So he never makes a mistake. But, but here's, here's another question. Could, could you lose your salvation if you are in Jesus Christ? Could, could you lose your salvation? You came to believe in Jesus Christ. Can, can you fall away? No, you can't. God is unchangeable. Those whom he calls to Jesus Christ and draws to Jesus Christ are there for good. They might wander away, but they can, their salvation can never, never be lost. Nothing can separate us from his love and favor. And so just, these are just three things. God the judge, God the creator, and God all wise. I mean, you could do uh, uh, the power of God and, and many other things about God's character. But just simply put, all that God is, all that God is, is for his people. And, and, and it's wonderful news, but it, it, it means that we have to have a, a, a change in our thinking. We have to shift the paradigm a little bit from good things and bad things to maybe all things that happen in my life and your life are gifts from God. I remember in high school, my teacher asked that question. He said, uh, do you think that the bad things that happen in your life, like the seriously bad, really horrible things that happen in your life, he asked teenagers, do you think that those are good gifts from God? And the whole classroom was like, no, that can't be. Why would God do that? But you see, it's hard to say, but it's precisely, they precisely are good gifts. Because through the trials, the hardships, God sanctifies you. God grows you in grace. You, you, you can just, the list goes on and on. If all, everything in your life was good and great and swimming, you might want to be a little worried. God chastens and disciplines those whom he loves. He brings hardships on those whom he loves. And what happened, what did Jesus go through? Much suffering and trials. So too must all his people. Okay, we looked at who is for us. But now I want us to see from the text, uh, we, we first saw if, if God is for us, God, who, who is for us. Now I want us to see the proof that God is for us. The proof that God is for us. Specifically in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give all things? How do I know that God is for me? How do you know that God is for you? How do we, we as believers, know God is for us? Because he sent his own son to suffer, to die for us. Because of Jesus we know God is for us because of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the, the anointed one. The triune God gave up his own son. Think about this for a minute. Think about a mother. Many of you are mothers. 
A mother loves her son or her daughter. She has the maybe, think of the mother with her first child. She, she loves that son or daughter. While the world doesn't anymore, but a godly mother loves her son or her daughter. She loves that child more than her own life. She'll literally do anything for that son or that daughter. Just ask my mom. I, I was just like the worst child ever. I really was. I was so rebellious. I, I, I'm trying to put it the right way. Uh, she, you know, took her for uh, granted. And it's like she would do give and she would always say, I give and give and give and I just get nothing in return, you know except for maybe a slap in the face, not literally, but, you know, when I go and rebel. But, but she, my mother was a good picture of that. Uh, and it's just it's a good example. But she loves, she still does. She would say to me, she's like, Henry, I will do anything for you. I'll, I'll literally do anything for you. And she did. She gave up her whole life. She made all kinds of sacrifices f- f- uh, for me. And so, but think about the mother with their child. It pains her, it grieves that mother, it depresses her, it gives her uncontrollable sobbing to see that child die. I don't know, I, I've met a few uh, women who have had a, uh, what's the word, when you, you have a child uh, and it dies? Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, just the depression and, and the, the sadness, the grief now think about, uh, think about God. If, the, if that child or son or daughter is precious to the mother, uh, uh, earthly mother, the same is unto God. The son of God is most precious unto God himself. It's, it's more precious unto God more than anything else. Yet God gave him up for us. The triune God gave up his son. He delivered his only son eternally begotten for us. And think about the story with Abraham, right? God said, Abraham, you're going to offer up your son Isaac. And Abraham was going to do it. And then God put an end to that. Why? Because he saw in Abraham's heart that Abraham was actually going to do it. Abraham knew to a certain extent what that that would be like. God gave the son up to human flesh to suffer and to die. Think, think of the tragedy, as we, we said, when a mother loses her child in a freak accident or uh, after, right after labor. Now think of the tragedy of God giving up his only son, his most precious possession. Think of, as one theologian puts it, God's own suffering when he delivered his own son to the cross. It costs God something to to save you, to reconcile you to to him. It costs God his only begotten son. This is exactly where the proof lies. If God be for us, who can be against us? Since God gave up his only son, Jesus Christ, to suffer on earth, die a despicable death, 
and bear hell on his shoulders in our place, then who can be against us? You see, it's a rhetorical question. If God is for us, nothing is against us. Everything is is for us. Rather than let his, his people go to hell, he sent his only precious son to pay the penalty, to bear the wrath of God in our place. This is the proof that God is for us. Again, the the question is not a a sarcastic question or a mocking question uh, saying, well, if God's for you, then why do you have all of these things against you in this life? No, the the question is rhetorical. The the question to which the answer is, is obvious. It is a question asked so that a point could be made with dramatic effect and in turn take place in our heart. The point being, if you are in Christ Jesus You have nothing to fear. There is nothing, no one that is against you. I want to read now from the Heidelberg Catechism. Catechism, it's just a question and answer of of, uh, our faith. And this is, it's my favorite piece of literature, hands down. I'll just read this with you. The question is, what is my only comfort in life and in death, that I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood hath fully satisfied for all my sins, and delivered me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me, hear this, and he so preserves me, that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation. And therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely ready and and willing to live unto him. That not even a hair can fall from your head without the will of your heavenly Father? It's just a hair. A hair is unimportant. It's just dust. But God pays special attention to your life. So special, so much attention, special attention that even down to the hairs on your head. What then about the, the very important things or the very big things that happen to you in this life? The things that shake your world. Those two cannot happen without God doing it without God uh, controlling it and think if God is for you then those things that you are going through now those things that are very real very hard and bring very many tears or many tears those things are not against you you belong to him and those hard things you face are actually for you and work in your favor the, the world can't say that. Do you see? The people who are outside of Jesus Christ, they can't say that. Bad things that just happen to them, they're, they're just bad things. They, 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 they work for their destruction. For, for believers, the hardships that you go through are for your good to, to shape you, to mold you like a potter does with clay. And So even when God may seem against you, he is actually for you. 
That is how you and I must train our brains to think. If you know that God is for you, if you know that God has a perfect plan and he will make your salvation complete in glory, then what shall you fear? What shall you fear? Trust God and face the hardships and evil of this life, knowing that God uses those things for your good to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. He is not mad at you. It's not some, some uh, Christian karma. He's, he's not mad at you. He's not punishing you. But he loves you. All that God has done, does, and will do is for his people. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Isn't that wonderful? And we must believe that. We must believe that by faith. Childlike faith. Unless your faith is like a child, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the beauty of that childlike faith is we go going back to the image of, of the trains. Go to a train station, what do you see? You see all these train tracks crisscrossing each other, and you have no idea what's going on. You have no idea how any of that works. But guess what? The guy in the control room knows how it works. He, it's all organized. And all those train tracks crisscross and they, they go exactly how they're supposed to go. So what doesn't make sense to us makes sense to God. And you can have the, the, the assurance that it is for your good. Even as the torments and the waves hit you and you're laying on your bed and you're depressed and you're sad and you can't sleep, God is for you. And just say over and over again, it is well, it is well, it is well. That God is over all things. He is the guy in the control room at the train station, if you will. He's over all things and completely for his people. And just quickly to note here, he gives us all things. He gives us salvation, as we've noted. Jesus Christ, eternal life, that one day you'll see Jesus face to face. He gives you all the spiritual blessings in this time. He gives you what you, you need to be fed. Preaching of the word, the Bible, reading, uh, prayer, uh, uh, fellowship with the saints. The Holy Spirit who is your comforter in times of trials, he gives you that. And he gives you much more. And he, he also, as we mentioned, gives you the hardships. The afflictions. And, and, and those are worked for your, for your good. Like silver refined by fire, so too are we refined through the tumultuous waves that rise up against us day by day. But now, uh, to, to conclude, it, it, is, it is apparent that even though there are things that might seem to be against us in this life, there is actually nothing that is against us because of our great God. Our great God is for us. And so, let the devil and let the world do its best. Let them. The devil is chained, as Revel the book of Revelation states. He's chained. He's bound. And the world is conquered, as First John states, by our overcoming faith. All the wicked and evil powers have been triumphed over by Jesus Christ. So do you see the comfort? Do you see the comfort that lies in the sovereignty of God and salvation in the sovereignty of God over everything in your life? Are you in a hurry? Are you, are you flurried? 
uh, distressed, as one man says, look up, see the man in, in the glory. Let the face of Jesus shine upon you. The wonderful face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he worried? Is he distressed? There is no care on his brow, no least shade of anxiety. Yet the affairs, and this is amazing when I read this, yet the affairs are his as much as yours. But Jesus isn't, he isn't distressed or worried. Neither, neither should we. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, you would apply your word unto our hearts, Lord, that we would see the great God, more of you, the great God who is for us, who is judge, who is creator, sustainer, uh, over all things, who is all wise, is for, you're for us, God. Amazing. So help us to know more and more of you, and then help us to see the living proof. Jesus is living today. He's alive. That he is a living proof that you are for us. He died, and he, he made a way for us and brought us into to the fold, Lord. And help us then to, to train the way we think about how we see the hardships in our life. Not to minimize the hardships and trials that we go through, for they're very real, and we all have different ones. But to, to have a paradigm shift to see that you, you, you orchestrate them all for our good and for your glory. And so that in the face of evil and, and wickedness, we might, might be able to see your hand at work and say, it is well, it is well. We know that you are in control, that you did it, that you are shaping us and molding us. Comfort us, Lord. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.